Hello, and welcome to Machine-Centric Science. My name is Donnie Winston, and I am here to talk about the fair principles and practice for scientists who want to compound their impacts, not their errors. Today, we're joined by special guest, Christophe Blanqui, currently executive director at the Donna Foundation, but also a rich history, many hats to talk about, <laughs> current and past. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Christoph, uh, for listeners who don't know about you, can you introduce uh, yourself a little bit and why I'm so excited to have you on today? Well, thank you very much, Donnie, for inviting me to this podcast. So a little bit about me. Um, uh, I'm Christophe Blanqui. I used to be, uh, so I'm a computer scientist by profession originally, and I worked for a long time at the Corporation for National Research Initiatives led by Bob Kahn. Uh, back in Western Virginia and uh, worked on these issues of uh, digital object uh, infrastructure and architectures uh, with, you know, a lot of emphasis on digital libraries in the early 90s. And as time went on, we developed more uh, projects applied to DOD or financial transactions or other things. Um, and those um, interests led me to uh, be nominated to run the Donna Foundation, which was created in uh, Geneva in 2014, to operate the infrastructure that uh, CNRI had created, uh, mainly the handle system, which uh, many people uh, would be familiar and have seen you know, as DOIs. Um, the creation of the Donna Foundation in Geneva was done uh, mostly for neutrality purposes so that uh, this uh, handle system could be operated in neutral grounds without any uh, you know, particular, um, I would say, liability from uh, political concerns, um, mostly at the time stemming from the State Department. And um, so this is where uh, and why the Donna Foundation was created in Geneva. And so from here, we have um, you know, continued developing the global handle registry and the handle system, the ecosystem, with a focus on attracting more foreign uh, uh, bodies, um, different organizations and uh, uh, different parties to try to you know, further the interoperability of identifiers globally and to create a community that uh, leverages this architecture and specifically in this case, the, the FAIR uh, principles really match well the sort of activities that the Donna Foundation is involved in. So in a nutshell, that's that's what I do. I used to write a lot of code, not as much anymore, but uh -huh. uh, still do as a hobby. Um, or just to get certain things done. But I, I'm really a technologist uh, <clears throat> from the ground up. And uh, although I do really get more and more interested in the human aspects and the organizational aspects of uh, infrastructure, uh, I, I do still ground all of my, my concepts from, you know, the practice, which is, can this run? <laughs> can we imagine building this at scale? Uh, but I must say that the human aspects are maybe something that technologists would tend to forget about. Um, but I think they play a, a, a key role, of course, in, in making all of these uh, architectures run and, and be developed and adopted. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And, um, you know, I love to geek out 
on, on technical stuff, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's really, it's been apparent for a while to a lot of people and, you know, um, people who are, who love coding and they'll, they'll maybe get a little older and more experienced and they'll realize, well, it's really socio-technical and um, it's, uh, it's harder to manage people than manage code, even though code is really hard to manage too. Um, so yeah, what I'd like to, to, to really dive into here is, is this idea of, of identifiers. Really, it's, it's, it's the first thing about FAIR. It's the first thing about the first thing about FAIR. It's F1. Metadata yes. data have globally unique persistent identifiers that, you know, and everything, everything kind of flows from there. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of parts of that. Um, there's there's the, the global uniqueness and there's the, the persistence. And then there's also the identification, but, but it feels like, you know, persistence is sort of where we'll maybe get a little bit more into into social stuff, but also also global uniqueness, you know, people deciding not not to clash. And I guess what I want to um, ask about a little bit is maybe some of your perspective on like, on the ecosystem of global unique persistent identif identification and like maybe how historically um, the handle system grew up in in that kind of an environment maybe people can have have a sense of like well how does how do how do handles relate to http urls and maybe how does the handle system relate to the domain name system where it seems like you can also reserve a prefix uh of some sort a domain name and and and, and um and how that that kind of all all plays out, and maybe a little bit of maybe like why the handle system has numbers, <laughs> right, right. You know, well, I think those, and, those and just, are... just this whole idea of like, well, you know, people can get a domain name and park on it for a while, but I mean, just just sort of how that that grew up, because I know maybe there was some some uh, some question in the early days about the web DNS versus digital object architecture and and cons vision and and, 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 and how that's evolved today. So maybe there's this whole slurry that's, that's evolved. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that because you, you've really been. Yes. No, I, I'd, I'd be glad to. It, it's, uh, it, I, I must say it was my bread and butter for years. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's a topic that's close to my heart, but I, I think this is a very important topic because even today, uh, we, we hear about, um, you know, conflictual information about what the handle is and how it's related to your URI. So I, I think this is a very important topic. Uh, just a little bit of background, uh, you know, Bob Kahn, uh, when he created the Corporation for National Research Initiative was uh, basically wanted to have a, what we call a, a little uh, experimental box where he could think about concepts and then try to move uh, certain of these infrastructures forward. Uh, the story that we used to tell ourselves at CNRI is that after, you know, solving the issue of packet um, transfer on the internet, uh, the issue became so, you know, the internet doesn't really know what it's transferring, what happens or what would it take to make the internet aware of the nature of the information it was uh, shipping. Mm -hmm. And one of this, uh, this is, you know, a core concept behind the framework for digital object services, that, that seminal paper, which just a story aside, when I joined CNRI, my first uh, job was read this paper and implement it. 
And <laughs> uh, <Wow>. <laughs> at, at the time, I thought I thought it was a little bit abstract for for a straight implementation, but that was that was life at CNRI, where you just had to you know make do with what you could think and then make a good argument for Bob to uh, see why you were doing what you were doing. So early on, uh, this this notion of uh, you know, coming up with a, a, a model for describing information on the internet was really the core concept behind the digital object. One of the things that Bob Kahn always mentions uh, in passing when he talks about the digital object um, architecture is this notion of nobots that uh, where uh, these mobile pieces of code that would go from one place to the another and what execute. Is that term again? The nobots, the nobots, it's a, like no and bots. And, you know, it's, it's a concept that still, uh, carries some validity, but I, I think it was at the time a reflection of the fact that compu computation was very limited. And the idea of being able to parallelize a task and send these nobots out to places where well, so they could perform. No, as a knowledge, like. No, as in, yeah, and as okay, in, no, as in okay, no, wow, no okay, right. mm -hmm. and, and that was uh, really uh, another core part of this architecture where these nobots would go to digital object repositories and perform operations on these repositories and aggregate information according to various algorithms that were intrinsic to the nobot. Uh, and report back to a, uh, a the launcher of this nobot. And um, Guido van Rossum uh, was at CNRI at the time, and his team were developing Python, but they were also implementing nobots uh, to demonstrate, you know, the uh, the value of the architecture. So that was that was a very interesting, uh, you know, project uh, with many many. You know, the reason why Guido was selected, I, I, that was just before I'd arrived. Guido had just joined CNRI. And, the, you know, a lot of the concepts of the pickling of the digital objects using, uh, uh, hmm. Python pickling was there. But that's, that's a, that's another interesting, uh, historical note. I did not that, know that Guido was at CNRI. <laughs> yeah. He, he, uh, it was, cool. it was, one of the earlier versions of of Python was there, and and um, there are some versions of the handle system that were implemented in Python, partly because well, the Python was one of the earlier uh, implementations of um, of the digital object repository, and some of the implementations of the digital object um, architecture were implemented in Python uh, before. Um, I think at that time Java was taking off, and and unfortunately Python lost out, but it's winning out now. So it's uh, <laughs> just a question of being patient. But um, but so this to go back to this notion of you know what what is a digital object and what do you need it? And it's basically you need to have a model for information and services that is fairly broad, but yet sufficiently specific that you would recognize a digital object when you see one, and you'd be able to interact with that digital object in a way that is consistent enough that any computational device could start a conversation with a digital object. And this minimum level of uh, specification and interoperability um, is the key aspect here. 
Uh, one of the things that Bob likes to say is that, you know, standardization is a subtractive process. You want to have your specification be as minimalistic as possible. So you just need to put the minimum necessary in your standard and any, you know, convenient function that you would like to see because it makes your life easier. Right. As long as you can implement it using the other basic concepts, uh, you should remove. And so the digital object architecture is one of these um, architecture that is subtractive. So you look at it and you don't have that many, you know, hugely uh, different concepts. It's just that they organize in a particular way uh, that you can start building um, large scale distributed infrastructures where uh, clients can have deterministic uh, interactions with everything, regardless of what it is that they are, right. and leverage, you know, the core notion, for instance, of uh, typing within the digital object architecture to lead you to the next question, which is, all right, I found this digital object, I have its ID, I can find out where the object itself uh, is and I can find out the types of its values. And if I don't understand the types, well, these types themselves are going to be defined as digital objects. And, you know, if I go down the rabbit hole, I can find out what these types are, maybe download some code or acquire some, you know, regular expression that allows me to do something with it and proceed to the next step. Okay. So, so part of the, so that was the, the, and, there, one important thing about digital object is the notion of kernel metadata, um, which is, metadata. is, is in of itself was never, you know, sufficiently, um, defined in, in that, you know, date created, date less modified, uh, type identifier, um, and maybe, you know, what you would call metadata. But very quickly, you run out of things that are, uh, should I say, that apply to everything. Like size is already starting to become a little bit of a problem because size of what? Right. <laughs> you know, the digital object itself may not may have a size on disk, but but the digital object, um, you know, the the size of a particular element within the data, the digital object would make sense. But uh, right. a digital object would typically not have a size. Uh, like you would think of a file size. It's, it's not really the nature of the beast. Um, so going back to this architecture, one last thing, the notion of an identifier yeah. was a critical part and surprisingly enough uh, was supposed to be the easy part. And uh, so this is where the handle system was born. Um, we needed a way to identify these digital objects and, um, you know, it was, you know, how hard can it be? <laughs> right. So a lot of the funding at the time was, uh, you know, through digital library funds and ancestral funding from DARPA and NSF. And that's what, you know, CNRI uh, used to develop some of these technologies early on. Um, and I would say by the mid-1990s, um, already it was clear that, the institutions that were interested in the handle system and what it offered, which is a level of dereference, uh, where the publishers, because the publishers were new to the web mm -hmm. and they realized very quickly that, 
you know, your eyes um, were breaking a lot right. for all sorts of reasons. And, and it's not because DNS doesn't work. It's not because your eyes don't work. But it's mostly the social technical fabric of what you, you know, put in a URL. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the publishers realized that they needed an identification system that was independent of the underlying technology uh, and the naming conventions that were part of the, the typical mm-hmm. URL. And so they were they were the first ones to to say, all right, this is this is the right approach for identifying journal articles or things that we need to identify over the long term. And uh, this is where this notion of persistence already started, you know, rearing its 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 head. Right. In, right. And 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 in this case, the persistence is not that the implementation has persistence, although you know an implementation that doesn't change over time uh, helps a great deal with persistence. Right. Uh, not necessarily the only requirement; it's an important one. Uh, but it was this um, this idea that you could hide the management of the links uh, behind an identifier mm-hmm. and that nobody would be the worst off for doing it. So it provided you with this ability to manage this dereference. And that was something that, you know, not so many identifier systems at the time, um, you know, provided. Now, you could make DNS do stuff like that for sure. Yeah. But that's not what DNS was originally uh, you know, used for, you know, you identify mail servers, you identify IP addresses, but you're always on the level of a service. You're not, you're not really trying to identify individual things. That was not, and even the way that DNS is managed. So I guess we're having this DNS conversation now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way DNS is managed, it's, it's really meant, you know, to, to be managed at a greater level of, of uh, granularity. Than let's say the typical handle system is, mm-hmm. um, and and so that reflected well the sort of things that you do with DNS, which is give companies names and let them manage their you know sub names within their own names, and right. and all that works well. But if you're if you're talking about top level DNS, um, you know .dot com .dot edu, um, then you know uh, or the next level, the next uh, derivation below. You're talking about zones. You're you're talking about a an update that is not you know uh, at the granularity of a single admin uh, within the company that right. gets the DNS name. So the handle system from an early on had to, this task of being able to identify anything and everything, and uh, allow this handle system itself to be used to manage its own values uh, with a with an administrator. Uh, that was itself identified with a handle. So from an early on, that was the the uh, the, the design of the handle system, which which wanted to use PKI challenge response to identify entities within the handle system to allow for any level of granularity that you're looking for. And that that is uh, the original RFCs of the handle system. You know, speak uh, fairly clearly about how this works. And the latest uh, update to those RFCs, which is DOIRP version 3.0, um, that's a sta- uh, open standard through accessible through Donna, yeah. you know, uh, still describes the exact same mechanism. And the main updates to the RFCs are the fact that nowadays we have a distributed global handle registry 
whereas before uh, CNRI was the main administrator of the, the global handle registry. And, and that, you know, is, is an interesting comparison because in the DNS space, you, you have your 13 routes, but there's only one that's a primary and you don't really have a true multi-stakeholder administration scheme. You have a single primary DNS server that's, uh, I think it's still maintained by ISI, but it's under California law. And that's where the primary is. Now you have other mirrors around the world, but they're mirrors. They, you, you cannot insert in those mirrors new values. So while, you know, ICANN is clearly a, a fairly neutral organization that manages this, if you go down to the legal uh, entities that uh, control uh, ICANN, there's still some degree of U.S. control. Now, clearly, ICANN is is not enforcing that to do anything nefarious at all. But it's it's interesting how some vestigial remains, uh, you know, are there, and and somebody who wants um, to to speak ill of uh, ICANN could just you know point to these things. And, and, and just say, well, you know, are you totally multi-stakeholder? Are there some potential legal limitation? Could, uh, the State Department influence, uh, you know, what ICANN can do on this, uh, primary server? So, I mean, those, those are, you know, I, I honestly, there are no simple solutions to these things. It is what it is. And I think, you know, ICANN does a great job at, uh, managing DNS and, and it's something that will remain. Um, I don't think that the handle system and DNS are competing with each other. Uh, we we serve fairly, um, you know, orthogonal purposes. Yes, we're identifier systems. Yes, we have a resolution protocols, but we're not we're not trying to deal with the same uh, sort of things. Uh, you could use the handle system uh, to point to services. Uh, you could use um, DNS to point to objects. I think it's a question of, you know, what is the technology that suits your uh, problem space the best? Um, you know, a lot of um, IoT systems uh, and also RFIDs were implemented using DNS uh, and other systems were implemented using the handle system. So, you know, my view is take the technology that works best for you um, and and go with that. Um, there are some interesting things about DNS and the handle system in the, I would say in the early, late nineties, the Chinese wanted to be able to have, um, you know, Chinese character in their DNS names. And at the time DNS could not support that. So they actually implemented a handle system based DNS. So it was a handle system where the administration would go through the handle system administration, but um, the database was also exposed through bind so that you could resolve the result of these, uh, of these administrations, these secure um, identifier based, uh, you know, administrations. And so there were some experiments like this. So I don't think it was deployed uh, at any particular scale. And now, you know, DNS supports uh, multiple character sets. So there's, this is no longer an issue. But the, the administration of the DNS is, is really, I think, the biggest uh, notable difference here. Uh, it's, it's really the granularity of administration and also the extensibility of what you typically put in a DNS record. 
the values that you put in DNS record are more, should I say, standardized. They could be extended, but you know, most resolution systems would not understand what they are. Whereas the handle system is really meant for clients to put whatever they want in the handles. Um, you know, any type value pairs that they see fit um, can can be put. Now, clearly, we end up with the issue of interoperability. Uh, so what do you name these type value pairs? Uh, our preference is to try to use um, handles to identify them, uh, you know, or PIDs of your of your choosing. And so this is this is where, you know, FAIR and the digital objects share many of the same concerns. Um, we oh, I, I see. Well, yeah, if I can clarify that. So so, for example, um, I have a handle prefix that I, I have from from CNRI. It's uh, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. It's it's like 20.500.14132. Oh, yes. Um, and, and I, I just, I created a handle, um, that slash Chris, C-H-R-I-S. And it currently has, uh, one key value pair record where the key is URL, which, which was, what was a default in the interface. And it points to your, your, your landing page on, on, on Donna.net. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, but, but yeah, I do also see this, this, there are, there are other things like, yeah, HS admin and there's, there's other. And so, so that's interesting. So, so there's this right. accessibility where like maybe the keys, um, and yeah, and just in general, I'd like to walk through, maybe some of our listeners have some familiarity with more familiarity with, with the DNS system for setting, for like simulating, identif identifying and like how that right. works. And I'd, I'd love to like go into that and some, some of the parallels uh, of like what things are called in the handle system or, I mean, you got into something very interesting, which is about even at the very top, there's like something to say between uh, relating ICANN and, and, and Donna, maybe, or at that level. Um, but like, uh, for example, uh, if I want to make a persistent identifier using HTTP uh, DNS, how I would go about it is I would go to some site that, cl that claims to be a registrar. Uh, I, I use this company called DNS Simple. And, and, and they are able to give me a full, I, I, I guess in the case of DNS, it's almost like, like a, a reverse prefix where like, like rather than CNRI giving me 20 dot something or, or DNI, D, some DOA foundation delegate like Crossref or data site giving me 10 dot something, you know, this registrar can give me something.com, something.org, whatever it can do at the top level domain. And so I'll, 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 I'll get something and I'll, I'll pay them a certain amount per year um, for that domain. And then I'll go into, into their console and, and I'll manage DNS records. And I can also do something with a registrar where I can, I can tell someone else to manage my DNS, like, 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 like Cloudflare. Right. And it's like, I, I'll put DNS records in there. And essentially I'll, I'll, I'll maybe like spin up a server somewhere with an right. IP address. And then I'll create an A record to that. And then I'll stand up an HTTP server there. Right. That will then serve a page. And, and, and that's how I get my URL. And, and, and it's up to me to kind of make that persistent. And so that's, that's how that sort of works is, is like, there's this ecosystem of like, you know, registrar and then maybe a separate DNS provider for records. And then there's, there's, there's some host. That, that will that will give you that static IP 
uh, and, and then there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot a, of moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts. Certificate, which now you can get from Let's Encrypt. Uh, and, and then you, you need a web server like Apache or, or, or something on that Linux system. And, right. And, and you need to serve like an HTML response or I guess in HTTP, you, you can decide to like serve, uh, you know, use HTTP content negotiation. There's, there's sort of all right. this stuff of like, how do I like get, get a machine, one of these like the, the equivalent of a no-bot, you know, uh, some, some machine uh, program to like ask like, like, what is this? And that's like a get request. Um, so yeah, just, just from that perspective of like someone, you know, who's, who's like technical, who's not afraid to dive into things, who like wants to like get an idea. Um, like, like how does that work in the, in the handle system? So the, the handle system, so you, you did a great job of making my point, which is it, it's not that you can't do it with URLs. It's just that it's actually a lot of work and there's a lot of inconsistency because, you know, so the, my question would be, do you really have an identifier or do you have a web page? And if if I'm trying to resolve your identifier, I'm not sure how what I'm going to expect to get. I, I could get lots of stuff, like it could get a web page that is human readable. I right. could get a piece of JSON. You know, if I'm if I'm lucky, you you maybe you you have a way to give me a signpost, which is easy to parse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there, there are a lot of possibilities, and it's not that it, it doesn't work. It's just that from a client perspective, <laughs> you can imagine that your chance of having an interoperable result from a resolution to a URL uh, when you're expecting uh, an identifier resolution, mm -hmm. uh, your chances of succeeding are fairly low. Um, it's not, again, it's not that you couldn't standardize the stuff. It's just at the moment, it isn't. And and there's not a huge demand for it either yet. So in the handle system, okay, and one last thing I'd like to say is that there's a weirdly weird, there's a strange level of mixing of layers. You know, so you have HTTP with an access protocol, but you, you have nothing that defines your data model on the other side. HTML, you know, is is a is a formatting. It's not, you know, a structure. I mean, it, so so there are a lot of things that are not, you know, uh, defined enough for a client to say, "Oh, I know how to deal with this." So in the handle system, you know, the fact that you have a protocol to resolve an identifier into a an ident a record ident uh, a handle record in this case, um, it gives the client a lot of certitude as to what to expect. You know, you're going to give this identifier to a protocol and the response will be a structured result uh, of type value pairs. It's a little bit more complicated than that. There are a little bit of substructures because each record has a little bit of, of key metadata of its own, like who can manage it, when it was created, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a little bit more information, but to keep it simple, you get a bunch of type value pairs and then you just pick the type value pairs for the ones that you know. And if if you're maybe a machine... Uh, a smart machine, you might be able to reason about what you have. But compared to DNS, the stuff that you have to put in place is much simpler. You just have to have uh, a local handle service somewhere that you, maybe you maintain or somebody else maintains. Mm -hmm. And your prefix has to be homed to that local handle service so that the global handle registry, when it is, gets involved in the resolution of the handle, by your client, we'll be able to say, client, that local handle service over there is responsible for this 
prefix and all the handles created under it. Mm. And so the, the process is fairly straightforward. It's especially from a client perspective. You know, your client before had to pick the URI, figure out that it's HTTPS, extract the DNS information, resolve the DNS, get, uh, you know, the, the server information, then get the port number, then connect using that HTTP, send the whole request, and then you get something back, which is potentially unknown to your client, and you're going to better, you're going to have to do something with it and hope that your machine is able to make hands and tail of it. Whereas in the handle system, it's a simple resolution where the only point is to get from that identifier an expected structure back from the local handle system mm-hmm. after querying the global handle registry, who's responsible for this handle. And once you get that address, you just connect to the local handle service and do the resolution there. So the 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 flow is is simpler. And I would say partly is because the handle system is a you know a one-trick pony. You're you're just resolving handles into handle record. HTTP is a much more uh, flexible and you know can be used for many different things. Right. And so you're you're not sure what you're gonna get because the default, what I would say is that HTTP is really geared at humans and humans being able to figure out what this is. But when you're talking about machines, this is where this ability of humans to figure out what it is that they're looking at escapes uh, what most machines are set up to do. It's not that in some distant future, you cannot have some AI system figuring out what we're doing, uh, but it's just that, you know, it's it's an overhead that is not necessary and can get really impossible to manage at scale. Um, and is, especially imagine if your your hand your landing page was actually a dereference page, like a DOI. Mm-hmm. And then in some case, you would just put a some some string somewhere that says, oh, this is uh this is a landing page, and then go get that other URL to figure out where the data is. Um, you know, so what's the analysis? Is any link a dereference? Is it if if there's a little bit of how do you figure the context? Whereas Right. In in the handle system, the context is is much easier to grasp. It doesn't mean that it, it cannot be complex, uh, but if you take the case of a DOI, it's super simple. You get the the pre the handle record, and you look for a URL, and that's your redirect. Now, this is the you know DOIs are in a way a a very straightforward use of the handle system. It's a it's a straight redirect. There are other cases of application where it's much more complicated, where, and, and if you think about the FAIR approach for a while, you know, the, the identifier record, if you use the handle system to implement FAIR, would have references to the metadata for the object as well as its information and could have other, um, you know, information such as a hash, of the data values so that you can verify that the references, that the data is still the same thing as what you're pointing to. So you can add a lot of complexity there, but uh, to just understand that this is a fair object, you need very few values to extract. Uh, you know, What's the FDO type, the fair digital object type, uh, where's the fair data, uh, the fair digital object metadata, where's the fair um, you know, object data, 
And that little aggregation piece, uh, you know, provides you with a few things. A, it's the ability to, well, three things, identify the, the data, the, the digital object itself. The other one is figuring out where the metadata for that uh, digital object is and the ability to get to it, which would help you figure out whether this is what you're looking for. And finally, you know, where is the digital object? Now, the devil's in the detail. And part of what the FAIR community is doing is to figure out what are the minimal requirements that we need to put in place to define these relationships. But I, I, I took a side note on the uh, on the, the FAIR digital object thing, but going back just to the handle system, uh, I think the single the single mindedness of the protocol is an important thing uh and i think this is a distinct concept when you think about using identifiers other identifier system the resolution of identification of identifiers is something that needs to happen very consistently you if if there's guesswork involved in resolving an identifier into you know this dereferencing information you're comp you're making the task of the client much more complex and much less deterministic to the detriment of the machine reliability of the whole thing and i i think this is this i i would really like to stress that it's not that you do not have other identifier systems out there it's just that they're not necessarily um as robust from a model standpoint right uh, and yeah. and i think this is this is the thing and i so i always say you know use the identifiers that you like so for me right. an identifier is just a string i don't really care what what system yeah. you use uh semantics has been proven to be you know a a sort of a love-hate relationship <laughs> uh once you're married to it uh you know it can cause you problems so i i tend to like identifiers are not too semantically relevant for all sorts of reason but sure. be that as it may for me the important part is you know so you have this identifier how do you resolve it and you know if, if you look at the web uh, and the typical url you have this mix the identifier is the same as the retrieval mechanism and so not everything. I mean, clearly not everybody has a query string in their URLs, right. but a lot of them do. And so then you're, you're stuck with that particular retrieval mechanism forever. And it's not that you can't maintain it, but you know, in a yeah. hundred years, are you still going to be managing your, your stuff with the same query mechanism? Maybe, maybe not. But if you do, maybe you regret the decisions you took a hundred years ago. And, and that's one last thing I'd like to say about the handle system. I, I think, you know, it's people like to say that the first 50 years of the internet will disappear. Maybe, maybe not. Some parts will be made re remembered. But if you're trying to build, you know, science and I would say records, especially for social applications, mm -hmm. uh, you need to think about the next 50 to 100 years. You need to try to find uh, ways to do it that doesn't break every every 10 years or every 20 years. And I think those are questions that not many people ask themselves, partly because we don't have good solutions. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's one where, you know, if I had to say something about the digital object architecture as a whole, that's what it's trying to achieve. It's trying to to ask the question, what is needed 
from a technology standpoint, um, what are the minimal concepts that remain true regardless of where we're going? And I think this notion of resolution of identifier, that will never get old. <laughs> now, of course, if you have, you know, I don't know, entangled um, particles, entangled photons uh, somehow can, you know, lead from your identifier to the real thing, right. who knows, but we're not there. And I, so I, I think, you know, dereferencing is an important concept. I, I would say one of my motto is when in doubt, dereference, uh, because the dereferencing de means that there's a, an extra dimension between the two things that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that thing is a variable. And when you have one of these variables in between two, two points, you'd better have a way to deal with it that doesn't involve either one of the points. And I think this is what the handle system provides from an abstract level. It's a dereferencing level where you're not sure how the identifier is related to what it identifies. And having this dereference allows you to add more smarts or more layers um, to deal with this bridging over time. <laughs> cool. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I, I want to summarize a, a bit of stuff that maybe you could debug my analogies or thinking. I, I'm trying to, uh, you know, place where this is. I mean, one, one overall theme that I'm hearing a lot from you is, um, you know, there is there's a technological basis, um, but there's still like a lot of culture, culture and discipline involved, like, like, even with, you know, if you have the simple mechanism of key value pairs, do you have the culture and discipline of like having meaningful keys, and like, and like those keys having handles, maybe, and, and, and that, that sort of semantic. Um, and I, I, I appreciate the idea of, of having like a, a really small conceptual service area, like, you know, the, like you mentioned back, back to Khan, like the hourglass model uh, that, that's characterized the internet, and just, just the idea that there's not so much to like be ambiguous. One of the things that I, that I recognize, at least nowadays, about um, HTTP DNS stuff is, is that there's so much tooling that's been so widespread about it that a lot of people might feel like it's simple because they can just pip install something and, and it generally, you know, all the libraries do the same thing. But, but as you mentioned, there really is, is a, there are a lot of choices and, and those may not remain consistent by, you know, client communities over, over decades. So to have something very simple at the model level, it does have some value, but I, I can't see a lot of people confused in practice because, um, you know, there's been a lot of interleaving, like, like, like someone can go to purl.org or w3id.org and like, you know, throw in an Apache config and a GitHub repo of their reserved name and like have, have, a, have a permanent ID. And that, that's all built on DNS, but, but they don't need to have the DNS or the HTTP certificate or what or whatever or run the server, but but all that stuff is still happening yeah. um, underneath. And I also I see something similar with with like this key value pairing um, attempt at standardization with HTTP headers. Like you might have an HTTP head request and and you know key value pairs and certain you know of them are supposed to be standardized. Like there's the digest header that should right. be. You know, a hash of your thing. There's like there's the content length header, which should be like the length of your content in bytes, and it should be very standard. Um, and and uh, and you know, their 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 mechanism for like custom thing is like the convention where you say like x dash 
something rather than having like a handle as your key. Um, That's right. But um, it, it, yeah, it, it just reminds me a little bit also of, of the effort. Maybe if you could comment briefly on um, the the idea of of the, the the semantic web and like what 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 keeps popping up as this idea. I mean, from what you told me of like, oh, I, I want to get something back that's key value pairs where, where I, I can pick the keys that I want and know exactly what they are. And I see a lot of um, uh, development about this with with like, say, you know, Google schema.org and like returning JSON LD responses where you're going to get this JSON response of key value pairs where the keys ultimately should be, be referenceable. And so I, I right. see this, this idea also also playing out. Um, and I'm, I'm just, yeah, it, it, it's interesting that like, as communities have like a need for more, you know, ideas of persistence, they're kind of maybe tug of warring in, in like in like two different worlds to try and make it happen. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah, it, it's fascinating to me. So, so um, I'd love like your general comment on that. I know we're we're wrapping up on time, so maybe like um, you know our response to that, but but also like wrapping up on kind of like the the future as you see it of of you know the handle system and, and, and it's uh it's intent for, for for leadership and the persistent identifier space and and and, and like it's ongoing relation with like uh <laughs> other resolution mechanisms and 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 what what your kind of thoughts are that for like to, you know for for i mean if you could possibly condense it to to, to researchers yeah like, i would i you know I, and like, I, like, I, like, like, like what, what can what can they think about this and you know um just yeah, just yeah. Very, I, think, I, I, I mean, <laughs> this is a this no, but this is this is a. I think this gets to the crux of some of these uh, some of these issues of how do you move forward. You know, to address your your point about you know the availability of tools to make complex things really easy for people to do. Uh, that's that's absolutely true, and I I think uh, you know if I had to fault uh, the, the handle system, it's the lack of uh available tools and the lack of uh you know available uh integrated use patterns i i think part of th there are reasons for that but i i think you know the community has not been as good as we would have expected by now in developing you know open uh, access to tools that make are your life easier and I think this is something that the Donna Foundation really takes to heart because uh, it takes effort, but it also takes uh, funding. And those things, uh, you know, are driven by use. And uh, what I could say is that, you know, the DOI Foundation with DOIs have been able to do a lot with fairly light resources and especially in the academic community. Uh, a lot happens with very shoe, small shoestring budgets. I think um, when you get industry uh, tied onto some of these activities, then it takes a different a different uh, nature. And I'd like to say in passing that the Chinese are the biggest users of the handle system, uh, potentially by orders of magnitude. But mm -hmm. we would know it here because we don't see what happens in China. But in China... They are using the handle system to do tracing and tracking of pretty much everything and anything under the sun. Mm -hmm. And they have use of the handle system 
uh, as ways to program sensors and read from sensors. So they 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 are sort of the leaders when it comes to thinking outside the box and and using the technology. But going back to this, uh, so they they would potentially have you know more tooling and more, but we we don't mm -hmm. see it. And this is a, a big, mm -hmm. it's it's too bad because the things that they're doing uh, in China are fascinating, uh, but the rest of the world doesn't know. Uh, going back to this issue of you know there are similarities in mime headers compared to these type value pairs. I totally agree. Uh, and I would sometimes say that the difference between the web and let's say the, hand, the, the digital object architecture goes back to this notion of globally unique uh, identifier that resolves to a structure. Because if you take, for instance, the famous file size in your header, Everybody knows that the file size should be, you know, the size of the stuff that's below. Yeah. So, so, well, hopefully, yeah. uh, but you know, if I wanted to create something else, um, good luck, you know, because you could always create X types and things right. of that nature, like the MIMES types that you would use. But um, you know, your chance of having the world agree that that string means this mm -hmm. is pretty much zero. And this is a, a difference, I would say, between, let's say, the handle system and the digital object architecture and the web is that when you know that your identifier is globally unique and you use it to specify something, immediately that thing has global global relevance. Whether people have seen it or not is something else. Whether the structures that you've put in that identifier, in that record associated with the identifier speaks to other communities is again another problem but this is the same whether you're in the semantic web and the web or the handle system how do you convey to people that there's a particular way to describe something is is a a you know this is where the social engineering comes into play and you know what what do these people have to gain do they have an existing uh, base of uh, tools and use cases and deployed infrastructure that can leverage it we all suffer from the same thing. Um, so I, I, I think your point is totally valid. There's, you know, there are not that many differences in what the handle system record returns. If you, if you compare a URL head and a handle resolution, you could say, you know, it quacks like a duck. It looks like a duck. It must be a duck. It's the same thing. And you could say, yeah, it is. It is from a pattern standpoint the same the difference stops in the names that you put in these things in the heads again the community is not you know saying well we're going to put uris to identify these strings whereas an handle system you'd be more like oh, okay i'm going to put a handle to identify this type i'm going to make it resolvable uh, but even then more work needs to be done tying this back to fair the, the reason why I think FAIR, the Donna Foundation is really involved with FAIR, is that FAIR is taking the digital object architecture. And I'm not saying they're not taking the handle system or DYP or these standards per se, because we want to, you know, FAIR community wants to be open to the web, to uh, semantic web and, and other technologies. But the concepts remain the same. And what FAIR is trying to do is just define enough of the semantics just the next layer of semantics that allows you to start asking the question, so what is this object? Mm -hmm. 
because the digital object doesn't actually tell you, you know, it has a notion of an object type, but it doesn't actually spec out the space of object types. It's up to the communities. So FairDL just tries to say, we're going to just define a little bit more so right. that your machine can then say, what is this object and do I care about it? Yeah. But even, you know, so one of the things that I tend to always argue for in the context of FAIR is, for instance, the metadata, the FAIR metadata. Uh, you know, we've seen how many years it took for the Dublin core to become the Dublin core. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that half of the community in Dublin core were not happy about the final result. But what we have to say is we have to say these, this particular metadata type. So let's say you will want it to say um, Dublin core. Well, when you identify this in the fair DO, you have to say this metadata is actually an instance of a fair digital object metadata type. So you could have multiple types of metadata, but they would all be consistent with this notion that the fair digital object endorses a collection of types. Mm -hmm. and, and just by saying you know, that maybe one or two metadata schemas are recognized by the fair uh, digital object community as being acceptable, it allows you to add a fourth or add a fifth. Right. Now, I would say, you know, this is, of course, a little bit dangerous because you could have silos of metadata. But if you have enough tooling and you know that, you know, there may be two main metadata schemas for fair digital objects, then you can find out utilities that would map them a little bit more carefully. And then you get some level of interoperability, not as good as you would have otherwise. But I, I think, you know, this community cannot, we cannot really rule out things and we have to remain fairly open-ended. Uh, but clearly there's a level where if you keep the standards too, um, for lack of a better, like too complex. No, if, if you're trying to make standards too specific and keep them interoperable, mm -hmm. The machinery that you need to be to put in place from a standards perspective becomes really heavy, right? And and so we 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 have to pick our battles, and uh, one of the one of the, I think a potential solution to this is what I call the notion of type genres. So you have types, but you need to categorize what types are, so right. that you can from a machine perspective quickly say uh, is this data or is this metadata oh this is metadata okay so i know or is this an operation or is this a pid record or is this a profile right. so i can i can quickly make sense and say no I'm, I'm not interested in profile i'm really just looking for the types of metadata you have and i, I think from an architectural standpoint saying we recognize their types and we recognize that they are various classes of types that are broad in nature. I'm not talking about, you know, within metadata, two different types. It's yeah. really general broad types. I, I think this is a, a one of these minimalistic uh, architectural level uh, standard that allows people to say how many genres of types are there in the fair digital object community. And that should be, you know, maybe six, seven, but but not them anymore. And everything then should fall within those categories. But if you needed an eighth, then anybody could do it. Um, right. And then the question is, would anybody can do it? But if nobody uses it, th does that matter? No. And this is this is one of the 
interesting issues with typing as a whole is that you could type things. And especially in the case of a handle system, anybody can create a type anywhere and use it. And that type will be, um, you know, resolvable the moment you see it. But whether it gets any use depends on the solutions that this type brings, the community that it, right. you know, and I, I think, um, you know, this, this is where the dynamics of the social contracts become, uh, become key again. If, if you're trying to solve a problem at a large scale, chances are you'll create communities that are interested in these problems and will potentially put implementations behind these concepts and make them useful. But if it's just a great concept, but nobody uses it, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and so I think we are all, you know, fighting that battle of relevance of, uh, you know, who's, who's solving the problem best and, and it's a challenge. And if, if we don't solve the problem best, well, we're not solving it best. And, and so be it. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's the, the great battle of ideas. Absolutely. Great. And I, and I love this idea of, 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 of type genres. Um, I don't know how similar it is. It reminds me of like a similar effort that, 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 that tries to catch on in the, the semantic web REF community. Like they'll, they'll, they'll have this idea of, of the, um, the uh, RDFS scheme of vocabulary has this idea of a class and you'll like subclass yes. that. And so you might see, you know, all of, all of the classes and like, you know, Google data set search, you know, will accept DCAT data sets. And that's right. There's this sort of idea of like trying to express that, but it's still sort of on top of HTTP and you have to, you have to know it. Um, but, 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 but still that, that kind of idea. Um, and yeah, I, I just love that. And I also love you making the distinction between like, again, like, with HTTP, you have content types and mind types, and, and you can have like response types, and you, and you could you have a response saying like this is JSON. Yeah, but that doesn't actually tell you anything. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't tell you what. It, 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 it you know, it's it's, so it's funny. It's the, the the thing I find always amazing is how far we've gotten, and how duct tapeish a lot of this stuff is, mm -hmm. and and it it's it's actually remarkable. And I I think part of the you know, if somebody says, how come more people are not using the handle system? Because, you know, if it's so good, why, why? And I, I think my answer nowadays is, is just that people have found solutions that maybe are not complete, but that serve their purpose and they're going with it. And the thing I find fascinating about FAIR is that it, it shows a certain maturity, um, when it comes to data. Uh, on the web. I, I think finally there's the sense that there's too much data that is not being able to be used, or reused, or accessed, or processed, because we really have no clue what it is. And there's nothing out there that really helps us. And so, you know, it's fine when this is not costing too much money, but it, when it's starting to cost money and or lives, uh, then I think, you know, you, you're like, okay, so why is it that this is not working? And we, we have to sort of rebuild a foundation that says, well, no, we, we can't just assume that pe people will figure out what these data sets are and how to get them. No, it just doesn't work because machines have to do this. And machines um, maybe are not as patient as, as me. I, I remember an example, a colleague of mine um, used to work for Marriott back in the U.S., and he was married at East Coast, and they wanted to do some analysis based on customer data 
figure out you know some some patterns and they had data from marriott west it took them six months just to figure out what was how this data was structured and this was within the same organization six months of wasted time with a fair amount of team behind it so you know we can't keep going on this way um and so we we need something uh to to structure this information in a way that's a little bit more uh you know more conducive to good results the other thing i would say is that you know google amazon all these groups fantastic products fantastic services but especially when you take a european centric perspective um if you wanted these clouds to interoperate uh you know they're not going to interoperate just because they're good guys no they're going to interoperate because there's money to be made mm-hmm. and right now you know exchanging data from one cloud to the other is not where the money is coming but if i have you know pictures on my um, on my apple uh, account and i want to move them to aws yeah good luck you're going to have to copy them locally and then switch them over it's like the good old days of phone uh, monopolies you know you 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 could not change your phone companies until the mid 80s in the US and then congress had to say no you have to have portability of numbers across companies and services that we need to have the same sort of thing for data and ultimately services and devices because those things are the same um and i i think this is where open standards that are not necessarily controlled by uh you know a couple of large organizations um could could make a difference um so it would be great if you know the facebooks the googles the gaffes of the world saw that there was some validity in coming up with a way to interchange data between between their clouds um so at first you start with data but maybe it could become services after a while or or iot devices and and I, I think those are you know larger complex questions and and just to open up the 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 topic a little bit more i think from a societal standpoint people most people do not know what their digital rights are or even worse what they could be so how how do you socialize a notion that maybe you do have the rights to not have amazon keep all of your financial data hmm. maybe maybe you know you should be able to dissociate your card information from your account at amazon and maybe there's a law that says that but you know people are not thinking along those lines and they have no clue and they, they wouldn't even know what questions to ask and i think not that i want to make fair more than it is but fair i think asks these questions with like okay so now you have fair digital objects can i fair digital object my persona on the internet uh can my digital information as it's controlled by my house my home country right. um can i access this on my terms hmm. um do the products i own can i have access to that data i think those are larger questions that you know if you have interoperability at some level you can start asking and expecting laws to influence how your data is managed and I, i think if you had to you know project fair moving forward i think this is this is some of the democratization of data of personal data 
uh, with the ability to quantify and inspect its use and right. and and hopefully you know prevent its abuse. But I, I think we're we're in the wild west of personal data at this point, and um, you know it's it's good to think uh, that we'll have a solution at some point. But I, I don't see politicians asking those questions, and I don't see the population as a whole really uh, educated enough to be able to ask for those things. Hmm. And I, I don't, you don't need to be a technologist to know that, you know, your rights are trampled <laughs> when it comes yeah. to your digital information. But, you know, where do you start? Who do you point the finger at? You know, it's because it's not because Facebook generates the data that they're the ones using it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is great. I, I, I want to, I'll try to wrap this up a bit with respect to your time. I just um, bring it back to identifiers. I love that example of like, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but you started with this one example of like two things, like with your friend at the Marriott, like, okay, we've got the East Coast data, we've got the West Coast data, you know, how do we know what's what? And, and now you're talking about, you know, every one of the billions of people in the world, you know, this, 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 this massive integration of data and like, okay, we're definitely going to need to know what's what. So we're yeah. going to need a robust identification, number one, That's right. first and foremost. Um, and yeah, I, I just love, I don't know if this is said somewhere, I, I, I imagine I'm not coining this, but I, I couldn't help but think of, you know, people talk about the internet of things and, and like, like so many things. But, but what you're talking about is the Internet of people. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, but, 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 but that's just, just as many where, 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 you know, rather than connecting, um, you know, uh, where, where there's uh, data governance in, in devices, it's, it's data governance with people and people have their own yes. personal data and that can that can flow around. So it's the Internet of people. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's really OK. Uh, so I want, want to close this up. I, I have two questions that I want to ask you at the end. Um, uh, one one very broad, which is, do you have any general advice for 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 our listeners? And then this can be anything. It doesn't have to be related to handles. It could be general life stuff, but it could also be, be that. And then after that, I want to know um, uh, who should I invite next. Mm. So first, just, right. just general advice, Jeff. Oh, well, that's 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 a tough one. I I mean, I I think you know the the the, the general advice is you know stay open to technologies. And try to find the ones that solve your problems the best. But ask yourself hard questions. Are you doing it because it's the ex uh, the simple solution, or because it's the right solution? And it it may be you know semantics at some degree, but I I think sometimes uh, we we tend to take the expedited solution. Uh, easily without thinking about the long-term ramifications. Um, and with that in mind, you know, we have to think about the internet as a system that needs to persist. I'm not talking about the routers and all this stuff. I'm really talking about what goes on on the internet, the, the discussions and the data. And we really need to start asking the question, how do we make this last? Do we want to make this last? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a different, different, but, and, and, you know, these are difficult questions, uh, but you have to keep yourself asking. Otherwise, 50 years of history is going to look very muddy in a thousand years. And you're saying, what happened between 1990 and 2050? 
we we don't seem to get anything. Um, so, you know, people are putting up a good fight uh, to try to do this. But you know, I, I I would really ask this question. You know, what technology do you think will last? Will last beyond five years, ten years? Is what if you're a developer? Is what you're doing now? Does it have staying power? I mean, it could be totally disposable software. So for, I'm afraid to say most software is totally, utterly yeah. dip- disposable. But the stuff that you do with it, um, you know, are you making it so that somebody can understand five years? I mean, heck, you write code, read code that you wrote five years ago. And most of the time you say, what, did I write this? Right. Um, uh, and I, I think data is even, you know, worse. So yeah. um, I, I that, that's... I, I would. Uh, that's the question I would have people think about: is are we are we helping uh, digital information over the long term? Are are we really being good steward of of this community that we are at the moment? Because we're so connected over the internet. Um, but um, I, 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 you know, I I have a dependent. Uh, some family members who are challenged in this area. And I always wonder when they're no longer able to take care of the stuff, it's, it's a daunting task. And I'm a technologist, so I have an idea of what to look for, but people who do not, uh, this idea that you would lose uh, your parents' pictures on their computer because you don't know where they are. You couldn't mm-hmm. get them backed up. You, uh, we're at this transition point where we still have a lot of printed pictures from mm-hmm. our parents, but you know, when we are parent grandparents, uh, I'm not sure what we'll do with all our, our family heritage. So, and who you should invite now. So it's, this is a very open-ended answer. I'm sorry to say it's, it's not really specific, but I, I, I think, um, you know, keeping up with technology is, is, is a full-time activity these days. And and you really have to take an active part in in shaping the future because we depend on it. Right. I, I really I appreciate that that zeroing in on a really specific concrete thing people can think about their their pictures. Yeah, their pictures. My God. No, it just, I mean just very concretely. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you. And as far as inviting, well, in the fair community, um, you know, there there are definitely many. Uh, many interesting actors. Um, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people within the DOI Foundation uh, community that I think you may want to talk to uh, because um, they have a wide body of data and a fairly wide uh, community that's expanding in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, you know, so DOI. I typically use to identify scientific journal articles, but nowadays they're identifying movies, they're identifying building parts, you know, it's IOT is next. And, and this opens up, uh, you know, a large, uh, interesting thing. So I, I would suggest that you um, maybe invite um, uh, the DOI foundation executive director uh, for chat. <laughs> okay. And I could reach out to, reach out to them and say, Christoph recommended you. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. I, I, I certainly will. But I, I think that would be an a, an interesting from a technologist to mm-hmm. a 
something that is really socially uh, active and is an active social community that you know is prob- probably going to be one of the front end uh, on the fair uh, beach head if you will because they they will probably have to to see how fair can be applied to all of the data that they reference um so i i, th- I would i would really think that that would be an interesting podcast okay <laughs> thank you thank you christoph um, all right, folks, that's it for today. Uh, I'm Donnie Winston, and I hope you join me again next time for Machine Centric Science. <laughs>